Welcome to the My Life is the Medicine podcast, where we get off the never-ending search for more and take an inward gaze to find how our lives have already taught us profound truths. Rather than turning outward to experts or gurus, we talk with ordinary people and reflect inwardly about the life journey and everything felt, thought, and experienced along the way. Join us in casual conversation and reflective dialogue to discover how simply living a normal life, reflecting on our own life experiences, has already given us all the expertise we need. Hosted by Chuck Hancock, an ordinary human who has lived life in many roles, like psychotherapist, software engineer, school teacher, orphan, adoptee, father, brother, mentor, coach, ceremonialist, and more. Chuck is a weaver of wisdom from modern day psychology to ancient wisdom of indigenous and European roots, creating alchemy from everyday modern American life. My guest this morning is is really a special person, uh, my, my partner, uh, Kelly Hancock, um, someone I've spent a lot of years and a lot of time with and a lot of conversations. <laughs> <laughs> and so to actually record one is a real gift and a blessing. I'm excited and nervous and <laughs> and all of that. Um, yeah, we've been married 20 years this year, this summer, just a, a little over a month ago, we celebrated that anniversary and we're together many years before that. And a lot of our relationship wasn't always uh, pretty or <laughs> conscious, <laughs> um, intentional. I like to think we're a little bit more so now, but still not always. And I think mm -hmm. that's all right. But anyway, yeah, we're going to just have a conversation about our, our lives today. And I want to hear a little bit more about Kelly and her life path and probably a little bit more of my life path and, and how our paths have really um, intersected um, and bumped up against each other at times and really supported and nourished each other at times. And we'll have a conversation about all that and see where it goes. So thanks for talking to me on the podcast this morning, Kelly. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> it's kind of funny. We've had probably millions of conversations, but never one with microphones in our faces before. <laughs> <laughs> right. Something new. Yeah. <laughs> it's a first. After so many years, it's hard to find first. So it's exciting. Yeah, definitely. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And, and just to set the scene a little bit, we're on uh, the porch outside in our backyard in the foothills outside of Fort Collins, Colorado. And um, a different porch. We often sit on the porch of our house, um, having conversations, drinking coffee. And I always think, oh, we should record one of these. And and now we've actually set things up to intentionally record one. And we're on a different porch, but hopefully still some of the same flavor. Um, I'll answer this question in a minute, but I want to start, Kelly, by asking you the same question that I ask everyone when we start this podcast. If you would, just give us a little orientation to you right now, you know, where you sit in your life, um, uh, you know, where you're sitting um, physically, mentally, emotionally, spiritually, developmentally, age-wise, relationally, all of those things, however you want to answer that question, just orient us to your now moment. Sure. Um, I am 44. I just turned 44 a couple of weeks ago. Um, I feel like I am 
finally fully entrenched in adulthood. (laughs) (laughs) I feel like for a long time, I like my numerical age signified adulthood, but I didn't quite feel (laughs) like a grown up, so to speak. Um, I feel like a grown up now, um, which has been kind of a recent revelation, I think. Um, um, I am an educator. Um, I've been an educator. Oh, I think this is year 23 Hmm. for me. Um, so pretty much my entire adult life, um, straight out of college became a teacher and have been doing that, um, for a lot of years. Um, I'm in a place in my life where I'm trying to move past just the identification as a teacher and really kind of excavate uh, my why behind that, I guess, Um, and kind of, you know, a bigger lens of what it is about teaching and being an educator um, and kind of broaden that scope, if that (laughs) makes any sense. Mm. Um, You know, like I said, I, I identify more with the term educator than teacher. Um, These days, um, I've taught elementary school primarily, kindergarten for most of that, so working with little people. Um, And now in my current role, I am a literacy specialist. So I work with kiddos who need a little bit of extra help um, in that department and maybe just learn a little bit differently. Um, So I get to kind of provide some alternate ways of learning for them, which is really exciting um, and really fulfilling. Um, I also um, am a wellness educator, um, particularly for women, a women's wellness educator. Um, So I'm a certified personal trainer, um, women's wellness specialist. And so that's kind of a thing that I do on the side, but I feel really passionate about it. Um, I, I guess the core of both of the things that I do professionally in the world is, is really about wellness, you know, about helping, empowering people to feel well, um, and to be well. And whether that's, you know, the gift of literacy or the gift of, uh, feeling good in your body and understanding how your body works in physiology, um, especially for women. Cause I think there's, um, there's a lot of mystery around it. We've been sold a lot of stories about how women's bodies work that just really aren't true. Um, I can maybe go into that a little bit later because that I may get derailed a little bit by that because that's a that's a big something big passion of mine. Um, so yeah, um, I think that's the common thread between both of those things that I do in the world professionally. Um, I guess you know even more importantly than what I do professionally, I'm a mom. Um, Obviously, you know that, but uh, we have two kiddos who are um, about to turn 13 and 15. So we are, you know, firmly entrenched in the teenage years and um, transitioning from parenting children to parenting young adults, um, which is a a lot of things all at once. Yeah. it's different. You know, I always thought that I would love the young child years most just because I have so much experience working with young kids. I have a degree in child development and all that. Um, but there's something, you know, I, I kind of, 
I realized for a lot of years was dreading these teenage years. And, you know, while they do have their, (laughs) there are challenging moments for sure. um, I'm finding that I really enjoy having older kids. Um, And like I said, it's, there's some days that are really frustrating, but I, I just really, I really enjoy, I think the process of just seeing them become who they are. Um, again, maybe a topic for later on in the podcast, cause that feels really relevant to my life right now. Yeah. Um, as far as where I'm at, you know, I feel like I have been doing the past couple years have been really relevatory for me. I feel like I've just been in this, um, immersed in this like constant, uh, constant development. I think I feel really grateful that I've had a lot of experiences in the past couple of years. Some of them actually really devastating and, and really, you know, um, those kind of experiences that kind of rock the foundation of who you are, um, that have kind of ripped me open and like ushered me into, uh, kind of like a new way of being, I guess is the best way that I can Mm. say it. Um, yeah. Um, I think that's all I can say about that right now. <laughs> yeah, well, that's, <laughs> that's... That's a big That's a big one. <laughs> that's a great orientation, and I can feel you right on that the edge of like, okay, if you go farther, we're going to have to dive into that, and I <laughs> hope we will. Um, and at the same time, yeah, we'll just circle back a little bit and continue to ground and orient, yeah. Um, because this podcast is a little special uh, in that I, since we've had such a long relationship, I really wanted it to be a conversation about relationship and mm-hmm. um, about your life and my life and how they intersect and how um, two people can really come together to grow and learn and develop. And it's not always pretty and it's not always like um, the therapists and the self-help book uh, type people might make it sound. Um, and that's something that our, our lives have really, uh, reflected. And, and so I want to add my voice into, uh, the orientation here a little bit too, before we dive any further into your life or my life. And, um, some of this is a repeat if you listen to the introductory episode, but I will just say it anyway that yeah, I'm 45 years old, uh, male-bodied, um, father, psychotherapist, coach, um, uh, really immersed in uh, nature-based work and rites of passage, and and so as you were saying, Kelly, like this whole like developmental piece of like becoming an adult. Um, yeah, I feel like I've been working at that very intentionally for a long time and maybe I'm starting to be there. (laughs) (laughs) Um, yeah. Echoing what you're saying, like, I think being a a parent of teenagers has been one of the things that has really spurred that on even the most of like, no, you really have to show up as an adult now um, because you can't be an adolescent. You don't want teenagers running the entire house. Um, And uh, so, yeah, being a parent of teenagers is definitely helping me um, embody that a lot more too um, in a way that I was surprised by, like even like all the years of, of dealing with really heavy uh, trauma, you know, in my role as a psychotherapist and really intense experiences with ritual and ceremony, thinking like, oh yeah, I've, I've dealt with some really heavy shit. So like parenting should be easy, but... <laughs> <laughs> 
<laughs> Every uh, parent laughs. Right. <laughs> no, but I think that like kind of what we're both kind of starting to dive into in this conversation is that like when it's actually really close and really intimate, like um, like a, a intimate committed partnership like marriage or um, a parent-child relationship, like that's when the experience is really so real. Um, yeah. And as we were talking about a little bit before we turned on the microphones, that um, you know, book knowledge and theory and even intellectual knowledge of uh, your life experience and my life experience like feels like it doesn't quite uh barely go below the surface um, when compared to like the real in the moment uh so like it's on type experience of mm -hmm. the arguments with the teenager or or the conflicts in our relationship or the the hurt or the pain in our relationship like those that's when it's really real and that's when we really learn um so yeah parenting and being in a relationship is um really the teacher. Um, yeah. so, yeah. Um, yeah. One couple other things orientation wise about me real quick. Um, I, I wanted to start with the origin of my life. I was adopted, um, mm -hmm. which really, um, has been something over and over and over again through the years that I've worked on through therapy. And eventually I really realized how much that set me up to have an open wound that really enables me to take in information through the opening of that wound about people and relationship and uh, communities and groups mm -hmm. and all those things, you know, because of like my attachment wound there, it's like this yeah. constant seeking of like, you know, are you my people is who's, mm -hmm. who's there, you know, can I connect to you? Are you safe? And, and yeah. all of that, which really empowered me to, um, learn so much. Um, and so, the origin story of my life is through this adoption and being adopted into a family that was really conservative, fundamental Christian that, you know, obviously I went through a lot of years of trying to uh, rebel against that and unpack all the hurt and pain around that, um, which also led to a lot more wisdom and knowledge. Um, so the point of what I'm saying here is like the origins matter. Yeah. Um, the origin of my life uh, the origin of your life. And um, I'm wondering if you want to share a little bit about the origins of our relationship from your perspective. Sure. Yeah. Um, it's always a fun story to tell. Um, so we met very young. Um, we actually met the first day that I went to college that day that, you know, your parents drop you off on that first day of school and you know, it's this big nervous thing. Um, and we were standing there in orientation and they were introducing this, all the people that were going to help us, the upperclassmen that were going to help us transition. And they introduced the tech guy, the guy that now this was in 1996. <laughs> so you, tech was something a little bit different than it is today. It meant mostly meant like hooking up your dot matrix printer. Um, <laughs> 
and this crazy new thing called email. Um, and they introduced this guy and he walked up and I was just like, it, literally there was this feeling inside of me that I, I, I was like, I know this person. Like there was like a mm. soul knowing, you know, and I was just barely turned 18 at the moment. So I don't, I recognized it as, oh my gosh, that guy's cute more than <laughs> that. But I, there, there was more, there was more to it. Um, and so, you know, we carried on in the day and I, my best friend was there at the time was there too. And we kind of elbowed each other and we're like, oh, you know, and I think I made a joke of like, oh, I think I'm going to have trouble with my printer or whatever, you know, so I could get him to come, <laughs> come help or whatever. And, um, my dad was with us at the time and my dad was, uh, had a knack for, you know, like a lot of dads do trying to, you know, embarrass and, you know, and so I think he picked up on the fact that I maybe thought that this boy was cute and kind of was like, Oh, look at, you know, and was like kind of egging me on and I was definitely embarrassed. Um, so we continued on our day, got all settled into the dorm room and then, uh, went to Chili's for dinner that night before my parents were going to drive back like the hour and a half to where, uh, our hometown was. And lo, we were sitting in the restaurant and lo and behold, the same cute guy <laughs> comes walking by and works is a waiter works at the Chili's and, you know, immediately notice my friend notices. And then, of course, my dad notices and really ups the embarrassment game of every time this cute boy walk by our table really tried to, oh, isn't, you know, really loudly, oh, there's the cute guy, you know, and isn't he, isn't he a cute, you know, and he's a fine young lad. He's a fine young <laughs> lad, which is, you know, perhaps the, you know, like he's some um, like nutty Englishman or something like in the middle of Chili's. Um, and, you know, I'm sure I was, you know, eight stages of beet red and, um, Anyhow, um, nothing, nothing occurred in that moment other than I was like, huh, that's crazy. What a coincidence. And I'm pretty sure he did not even notice me very much in that moment. Um, and then uh, like a whole year honestly went by. I think we, we were both in the same honors program at college. So, I mean, I think maybe we saw each other a few times, but you had a girlfriend, I had a boyfriend, and it was more just of, you know you know, uh, admiration of <laughs> thinking, oh, there's that cute guy. And I, I knew his name at that point. Anyhow, um, fast forward a year, I went home over the summer after my freshman year, came back to college for my sophomore year. And, um, so when I went, when I went at home over the summer, um, in my the little smallish town that I grew up in, we got a Chili's, which was really exciting. We didn't have very many chain <laughs> restaurants there. And they, this was the time when the town was getting bigger. And so all these chain restaurants were popping up. And so there was a Chili's. I needed a job. And so it was actually opening. So I, you know, was like on the opening crew or whatever. And uh, I guess I did a fairly good job because they knew that I was leaving to go back to college in you know, August. And they said, well, we want to keep you on. Can, you know, you can transfer to one of the Chili's and it was in Jacksonville where we went to college, Jacksonville, Florida. And so they gave me a couple choices and I was like, uh, the one at the beach, that seems like closest and the most safe for, you know, going home, driving home at night by myself and all that stuff. And so I show up like, you know, my first day to get oriented and stuff like that. And I walk in and 
there's the cute guy again standing behind the bar. And I just remember like looking at him and being like, I have never been so attracted to somebody before. Like it was an instant sort of, um, you know, like, oh my goodness, you know? And, but we, you know, so we started working together um, and like you do in college and working in restaurants, you know, everybody kind of hangs out after work together. Um, there was a bunch of us, it was close to the college. So a lot of the people that worked there were from the same college. And so we all just started hanging out as friends. Um, and we had both at this point, were in the process of breaking up with boyfriends and girlfriends. And so there was this kind of this, I don't know, friendly flirting tension sort of situation that went on for a couple months. Um, and then we had another mutual friend um, who was like, you guys should really get together and, um, you know, and playing it cool. Oh, I don't know. I don't know. You know, all that. Anyway, fast forward, she, she kind of did a little matchmaking behind the scenes and uh, yeah, lo and behold, we think we went out we started just go hanging out by ourselves transitioning from hanging out with a big group and started hanging out with friends um for, to hang out by ourselves and then we just we just became like <laughs> i think i think honestly we entered into it with sort of like oh friends with benefits this will be great this will be fun <laughs> we're both i was 19 you had just turned 21 oh that was the other part of it was like Right when we first started hanging out, uh, when we were kind of like, everybody was kind of apparent that we were flirting and maybe there was something more. It was Chuck's 21st birthday. And after a night of doing what you do on your 21st birthday, his <laughs> drinking friend, heavily, drinking, <laughs> drinking heavily, um, I was hanging out with some girlfriends and his friends brought him over to my apartment, just stinking drunk. And then everybody just proceeded to leave and left me with this drunk guy. Um, and I was like, oh, my. Um, I don't think any of my roommates were home at the time. And I mean, I, you know, was totally fine. So I, I took care of him. You know, I remember you puked off my balcony <laughs> and I put you to sleep on my couch and took the blanket off my bed and put blankets on, took your shoes off and <laughs> blanket on top of you. Um, yeah. And then I think it was shortly after that, we just, like I said, I think we thought it was just going to be a casual thing and it just never ended. <laughs> right. Well. <laughs> it just transitioned. And then it was like a couple months in, we were like, what, what are we? And I was like, I don't know, but I, you know, and I don't know that I had the language for it at the time, but like I had, there's been a few things in my life that I've just had this knowing about, like without a shadow of a doubt. And I just knew, you know, like you were my person, you know, and mm. uh, like, and it, it was just even like that there was just some level of connection and, you know, not to get too out there early on in the conversation, but like we, we had known each other in a past life or some kind of a soul connection, but there was something, there was something there. Um, and so, um, yeah, that was what, 24, 25 years ago. Yeah. <laughs> well, and yeah, I mean, there's so many threads of that story that I want to pick up on. Um, first of all, just to say that like when, 
it's, it feels really good to hear like the the love at first sight and this is my person and and that instant attraction and all of that um and i think that it's really clear from the story and, and i'll admit honestly is like i certainly wasn't aware of all that at the time you know i was right. i was a no. oblivious drinking too much you know 21 year old college student that um that you know did a lot of dumb things and um and 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 yet i think that uh, and along the way that uh you know the story isn't really like well and then it was happily ever after with no. the love at first sight like i mean <laughs> we've almost no. separated i don't know how many times sure. um and especially like earlier on before i was a therapist before we had any tools um mm -hmm. But then even after I became a therapist and had all the tools, it was like I'd try to apply, no, we're supposed to communicate like this and talk like this. And I'm expressing my feelings and my needs and it isn't working. And and, mm -hmm. and that would lead to even more frustration and, and more yeah. uh, feeling like, at least for me, like, oh, my God, this isn't working. I can't be with this person. Mm -hmm. And um, and. Yet I, I agree with you. I think it still holds true that like there is something about our relationship mm -hmm. that like we're together for a really important reason um, yeah. that some random guy in Old Town just happened to say to us <laughs> last night, too. <laughs> <laughs> That's a whole other story, but a good one. Yeah, yeah maybe we'll get there. Yeah. Um, the other piece of the story that I really wanted to weave in that occurred to me as you started sharing the story is that. One of our first dates, aside from the, the drunken shenanigans and debauchery <laughs> that our relationship started with, um, was going to see a movie. Yes. Do you remember what movie it was? I think it was Amistad. I yes. think that's what it was. And it was very long and very intense. <laughs> it was not a typical first date movie. Right. I think we just randomly were like, what's playing at the time we could go? And just ended up there not really knowing anything. Yeah. It was and about it, slavery. It was and... about the slave trade. And yeah. it was, yeah, really dark and full of tears <laughs> and grief. And, yeah. um, and I realized as you were telling that story, like, and, um, and you mentioned your dad, um, yeah. who I don't know if you said it yet on the podcast, but your dad died. Mm -hmm. And he was an instrumental part of bringing us together, essentially. Yeah. And and then shortly after coming together, like we also saw this movie that um, really is about a lot of deep pain and trauma generationally and yeah. race-wise. And I'm pretty sure I remember we probably both cried, uh, which was... Mm -hmm. um, you know, something for a first date. <laughs> True. <laughs> we weren't used to being in those no. depths together because we were young no. and partying at the time, you know, that yeah. uh, we joined together in that movie and it was intense. And, and I still don't fully understand why I chose that movie and you agreed to it. And, <laughs> you know, we're both involved now with African drum and dance and one of my projects in uh, undergrad and the honors program was on cultural history history of Northeast Florida, mm -hmm. which was on the plantations and the slave trade there. And like, there's something here about all of this that I, I, I mean, I think I could kind of put some words to, but I'm really wanting to just yeah. hold up and illuminate of like, mm -hmm. 
something about this pain and trauma and grief and loss and you know the loss of your dad that feels uh, relevant to name that's a part of our relationship from the beginning um i don't know what's stirring for you as i name that yeah i mean i think i mean a lot of things are stirring um but yeah i agree there's something i i think there's something with with grief and i think that people might be like well <laughs> golly that's dark or like what the heck like yeah. um and I think it's actually, I think that that's been part of what in the past few years has been changed as a dynamic. I know personally in myself and I think also in our relationship that like, it's almost like a full, full circle mm. type of a thing where I think we stopped fearing grief. Mm -hmm. um, and yeah, I mean, I don't, you know, I don't know, but there's definitely something there's there's something that there's some sort of a connection to something else or something bigger than us that's very much related to that, you know, and about not only our individual purposes in life, but like our shared purpose, like mm -hmm. for like our, our relationship, mm -hmm. you know, and I'm aware that that sounds odd. <laughs> yeah. It sounds very non-traditional and it sounds odd. Um, and yeah, it's hard to, it's hard to put into words. It's more of a feeling, um, mm -hmm. that I, you know, like I, I can feel in my body than right. anything else. How do you feel like your relationship to grief shifted? I think you said stop fearing grief. Like what changed? Well, that? I mean, as you said, my dad, my dad died. My dad passed away in 2020. Um, he, after a couple year battle with, a kind of a rare form of leukemia, um, it was right at the beginning of COVID like he didn't, he didn't have COVID, but that just happened to be, it was April of 2020. So right in the midst of like kind of a global grief or panic or, you know, whatever. So it was a really, it was a really interesting time. Um, and I, I think that that just, you know, I was very close with my dad my family is very close. Um, I didn't really say say much about my family in the orientation part but and I grew up in a pretty traditional close-knit family um in Florida and you know we're so close-knit that my whole family now lives where we do in Colorado because you know having you know multi-generational relationships has always been a big part in my family and you know my parents moved across the country when our oldest son was born to be you know an active part of his life um and so yeah when my dad passed it was just you know devastating isn't quite the word but you know like i, I spoke about earlier you know it it ripped me open um and i'm so grateful um that I went into it. Mm -hmm. Um, and I, I'm thankful that you had had so much training and, and I, I mean, it, training is probably less important than the, um, the ritual and just being able to hold space for that. Mm -hmm. Um, because I felt like I could, and I, I had the enough awareness, at least cognitively that, going into the grief was important. I didn't know what I was going to find. Um, and I was scared. I wouldn't say I wasn't afraid to go into the grief because I sure as hell was afraid to go into the grief. Um, but I knew that I had, I knew that I had you holding space, mm. you know, and my therapist, you know, and, and my family. Um, but I think your, 
your knowledge of just you know traversing those darker and deeper realms um kind of felt like a, a tether you know that i could go in and that i could get back out again i guess that was that's that's that was the main thing of knowing that i had some sort of a tether to be able to get back cuz i think when you stand at like the precipice of like this Im- immense like wave of grief that you i think the biggest fear is it's going to swallow you mm-hmm. you know and it's going to swallow you whole and there won't be you anymore and in in fact that's exactly what happens you mm. know the you who you were no longer exists if you go into it mm. um it's but really I, a portal yeah it yeah like yeah it's a portal and it's important to know that someone's got you yeah. you know that someone can pull you back out of it you know that you have that mm. that safety line um to get back out because you know um this is somewhat tangential, but, but super related, like in our, in our culture, in our society, we just don't have the grief rituals and the, the space for grief that maybe some other cultures do, or there's, you know, big ceremonies with big emotions to process and a, you know, a year of mourning and, you know, things that happen it, you know, I think that was the most painful and challenging thing for me after my dad passed is like, you know, there was a couple weeks where that seemed socially appropriate to do and it was during covid so they're they're at that added a different dynamic to it um but pretty you know the expectation seemed like okay we'll get back get back to life and you're like but i i don't even know who i am anymore because who i am is so informed by the people who love me Hmm. and at least that's what i found and i think when like one of the people who loved you the most is gone. Hmm. It makes you question like, who am I without that love? Um, hmm. And I don't, you know, I don't know what the answer is for everybody. I, you know, I had to, I had to figure that out. And um, it was definitely the hardest thing that I've ever had to do for sure. Um, But it's also been the most, um, I don't know, reaffirming is the right word. I don't, you know, the most transformational process. Yeah. And the bravest thing that I know that I've ever done. Right. You know, and I've given birth to children with no medication. (laughs) Done some things in my life that were physically painful and mentally and emotionally painful. Um, But that was a whole different ballgame. Yeah. You know, just going into it. Yeah, it's the initiation that you never would have wanted or chosen. Right, right. Yeah, yeah. So I don't, I don't know if I answered the question or if I went totally you off on a tangent, but that's what came. Totally answered the question and took us layers deeper into this place of. Um, I mean, what I've seen from the outside is like it took you deep into your soul that you needed community, me and your therapist and and other people in your life to hold that tether for you so that you could dive deep into those waters. Yeah. And in the absence of the person that um, loved you so much, defining who you were, you were able to discover more of who you were yeah. Um, outside of that lens. Yeah. And 
I've certainly seen that and and how you've grown and changed um, since then, as well as what you've been creating and manifesting in the world. It's both had a very clear, apparent, um, uh, easy-to-see result in both who you are personality-wise in your level of maturity, as as well as the, Mm -hmm. the visible actions in the material world as well. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I I guess what else I could say about it is this. It felt like my dad in a lot of ways represented my safety net in the world. Um, You know, symbolically and, you know, (laughs) sometimes quite literally, you know. Right. Um, And I found myself in this position of even though it wasn't didn't make logical sense, but that child, you know, in me felt really unsafe just being in the world. Yeah. Um, and I had to realize, I had to like figure out, but that, that was such a, a blind spot for me because I didn't, I hadn't realized it before then that I was still as a grown adult, you know, walking around needing the protection of my father, at least energetically, mm-hmm. you know? And at that point it was like, yeah, like you said, a rite of passage of like, oh, I, I, this just has illuminated that I have to create that for myself and it's time because I'm, I'm a grown adult. I'm a mother. I, you know, of course keep my children safe and, you know, but it's like turning that to myself, you know, um, I think when you lose someone, yeah, you, you lose what they represented and what they held for you. And then you have to figure out how to fill that yourself and you, in the process, become a more whole person so it's like it's such a gift it you know in education we use the word scaffold a lot you know Mm -hmm. like this gradual release of responsibility and um you know so i think you know people's you know i i think sometimes that's the gift in it if you're if you're looking for it it's like oh now you get to do that for yourself and you have this example of how to do that Right. And, you know, and maybe that's not everybody's experience and, you know, but, but with that, that, that was definitely my, was your experience. that was my, that was my experience. And, yeah. um, yeah. Yeah. Well, and I want to add my experience to it too. Like, I love that you brought in ritual and ceremony and the need for that. And, and my experience as a psychotherapist, which was helpful to you and on some level I think that maybe it created the the scaffold the tether Mm -hmm. those pieces for you but that certainly wasn't my experience in the moment like Mm -hmm. I remember like feeling so helpless and almost getting a little bit uh, righteous and dogmatic in a way of like hey I know what to do here I know how to help why won't you let me help Mm -hmm. let's do a ceremony let's do a ritual let's process let's have a family meeting we're going to process our grief and what you know all of this Mm -hmm. stuff and 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 really like I was frustrated uh, feeling like oh my god there's nothing I can do to really help here Um, and I've got all this knowledge and all this experience and we should do these things and it like I felt like I was hitting a wall um with you and your family at least that was my story that it was like um uh i was blaming the wall i think on on you and your family and the humans in the situation but i think in reality what i've come to learn in the years since processing is that um yet still maybe some of that could have been helpful but those were 
someone else's ideas from potentially other cultures, the therapy, Western psychotherapy, psychology culture, or the indigenous cultures I've been a part of that weren't really right and relevant for you and your family at that moment, at that time. And, and I think that what I'm getting in our conversation this morning is that how I was showing up anyway, like letting those things just be in the background of like, yeah, that's Mm -hmm. my process. That's my wanting to be helpful. That's my, you know, trying to create something that just wasn't right for the situation. And by not forcing that, it actually enabled you to have the process that you needed to have. Yeah, Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And it, you know, in those, yeah, I, I mean, I totally agree. And I, I, I saw that and, you know, that was, a, I saw that you wanted to do those things and I was, I was touched. And like, I, I think that's where I had to like standing in my, standing in my own. <laughs> There's two does and a little baby deer that just <laughs> literally just less came, than 15 yards away, 10 yards away to visit in our backyard. Us. Yeah. Well, and actually that was exactly what I was going to say was I had to surrender into what do I actually need Yeah. and what do I want and what will be helpful to me, which is something that I've struggled with my entire life as like someone who's been a people pleaser from very early on in my life. And I quickly realized that I would not survive the experience of the grief Mm -hmm. if I didn't honor myself and honor my needs in Mm -hmm. that. Um, And so, yeah, doing some of those things that I'm sure are, you know, that are wonderful processing (laughs) tools. Um, I just had to stand and know this is what I need. And for me, most of the time was actually like, you know, remind, you know, the deer reminding of like, I had to go, I had to go be in the woods. That's all Mm. I could do. Um, I, that my dad passed in at the end of April. And so it was spring heading into summertime. And those couple months after that, I I mean, I can't even, I, I have no idea how many miles I walked, but it probably was in the hundreds, you know, of just every single day. That's, that's all I could do to breathe was to just go be in the woods, go be in nature. Um, and hang out with the ravens. There was a family of ravens that would come and visit pretty much every single time I was out there. And my dad had like jet black hair when he was younger. And, um, they just, I, I just, there was such a connection there and I felt like he was there with me. Um, and I just, I could hear him. I could feel him. I just, I, I could feel myself being like held and healed. Um, and that's, that's all I could do was go sit on my rock out in the middle of the woods. And that was my grief process. You know, that was my, um, and you know, and even while I was in it, like, I, you know, remember thinking this isn't the right way to do it. <laughs> you know, like that old story <laughs> of like, I should be in my there, you know, and it was COVID. So you couldn't really be around people, you know? So it was yeah. like both a blessing and a curse, I think, you know, but, um, because I know the way that I process things is really, I need space and it's very internal, you know? And like, again, I've always felt like that's wrong, you know, like you need to be, I mean, I can be very vulnerable and I can share things, but I also, I have to, I have to have a balance of like, 
I just need to be with myself, I think, because sometimes I feel like, and I'm getting better about this, that like I have, my energy can sometimes be really porous. I hate to use that word empath because I think it's really overused <laughs> and triggering. Um, but being around other people's energy and especially in a time like that where I felt so ripped open wide, like being out literally in the middle of nowhere and sitting on a rock was the only time where I felt like I could actually access my own self without taking on other people's stuff. Um, and that was such a, I just realized that I, I realized it through the grief, but I just, it was so reaffirming to me like, no, that's just, that's how I operate, you know, and that's mm. okay. And like, I can give that to myself, you know, um, just in, in general for, you know, um, so yeah, I had to, I had to, there was such a level of surrender to, this is what I need. It might not be what's making you happy because I know it would make you feel really good if you could do this thing for me. Mm -hmm. um, but I know that I would just be going through them, you know, like that really wasn't like what I needed. And I think that's one of the first times in my life where I was really able just, I think maybe out of just pure exhaustion, like I couldn't put up the put on the face anymore i couldn't right. i couldn't i physically just couldn't anymore right. i was like brought to my knees of like yeah. i feel like i'll die if i don't do this and i know that sounds dramatic but like mm -hmm. um but that you know that was my process through and it you know? what a gift right yeah to like yeah. that you couldn't do it to do the right thing the should thing or the yeah. please me thing or like that really empowered you to yeah. like no, I don't care what anybody says is is the way I have to honor my process, which is mm -hmm. so powerful. Yeah, I mean, and that was the time where I really realized, like I heard, like right after my dad passed, I was like. We're going to have to just push pause on our conversation for today, but be sure to come back next week because as always, the conversation gets deeper and more insightful and we can really see the bigger arc of the picture. So be sure to check out the next episode so that you can continue receiving the medicine that our guest is so willingly sharing with us. Thank you for listening to My Life is the Medicine. We hope our guest story this week has inspired you to look closer at your own life. Maybe you heard some of your own story and their story through many of these experiences are common, ordinary experiences. And maybe something about their story was unique, which also might have inspired you to think about how your life, too, is unique. Either way, we hope our story today has helped you to see that your life, too, is the medicine. If you'd like to consider diving deeper into your own story and sharing your story with others, we hope you might consider joining us on a future episode. And if not, that's okay, too. We hope you'll continue listening, keep reflecting, and help you see how your life, too, is the medicine. Take good care, and we'll see you next time.